0: This episode of SFFYAT yeah is sponsored in part by Libro FM, which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You get to pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, and there are New York Times bestsellers in there and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And it's the same audiobooks at the same price as the larger audiobook companies out there. But you'll be supporting your local community and local independent bookstores. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. And if you don't know what to read next or you haven't learned that much about audiobooks yet, you can check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Libro FM is also currently running a summer listening challenge, and each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit, which is very cool. So listeners of Yeah can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to LibroFM, L-I-B-R-O F-M, and enter code BR3. And with each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to SFF. Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 59 and we are recording on July 26. I'm Jen Northington and I'm here with Sharifa Williams and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to talk about SFF involving games or tournaments.
1: Yay. And I realized how many of the books we just naturally talk about involve something like a game or a tournament. Because yeah. I was as I was trying to think about the books, I was like, oh, I've talked about so many of these before. <laughs> like Warcross and um there were other ones. That is not yeah. the only one, I promise.
0: <laughs> no, I was thinking that too. It's a very popular I guess it's a trope. It's a trope. Uh, it totally is. It's just so interesting, but I, when you stop to think about it, you're like, oh, right, that is that is a thing. That's a thing. But it's a fun thing, and we're going to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited to get into that. Before we get into science fiction and fantasy news, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Book Riot Insiders. Very exciting. So have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? And if not, your time is now. It's our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by resident Velocereader Liberty Hardy, so you can see the most exciting new books coming in the next few months. I love that tool myself. Uh, Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Thank you to us for sponsoring the show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're so nice that way. We are. Let's see. I want to start with this awards update. There are so many awards. So many. It's all very exciting. Uh, The 2019 World Fantasy Award finalists have been announced, including Lifetime Achievement including Lifetime Achievement recipients Hayao Miyazaki and Jack Zipes. And the winners will be announced in at the World Fantasy Convention, which is in October 31st in L.A. Um, and the theme is Fantasy Noir, Ooh. which got a, I know, right? That's so in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the short list is really great. If you feel like you need to check out what people are really hyped about, Then this is a great place to start. I saw some personal favorites like The Poppy War and Witchmark and Trail of Lightning on there. Also some from my TBR, like The Mere Wife by Maria Devana Headley. Uh, P. Jelly Clark, who we love, is up for the Black God's drums. Elliot de Bedard. So many ones that I love and I'm sure that you love as well.
1: Yeah, I noticed, too, that um, this is like Alex E. Harrow's year because mm. she already has so much buzz for the Ten Thousand Doors of January, and then she also has a short fiction piece on here, which sounds amazing, A Witch's Guide to Escape, a practical compendium of portal fantasies. Portal fantasy is very much in her wheelhouse. There's also more portal fantasy with uh, Sean and McGuire's Beneath the Sugar Sky under novella. So, I love this list. I'm really pleased with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's super good. I have I have a lot of reading to do. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Taddy Thompson, who we have talked about so much deservedly, is the 33rd winner of the R. C. Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction Literature. So, huge round yes. of applause. To Taty Thompson. Uh, Rosewater is such a good book. If you haven't picked it up yet, you should definitely, definitely do that. And then go back and listen to our book club episode about it. Yes. that was great. So good. Uh, so yes, big congrats to Taty Thompson for that. That's no small achievement whatsoever. And is that all of it? I think that's uh we've got a twenty nineteen oh, British Fantasy Awards
1: shortlist.
0: That's right. That's right. Which
1: I am much less familiar with in terms of like the titles, other than there's Empire of Sand here yes. under Best Fantasy novel, which is fantastic, Tasha Suri. Um but a lot of these I'm unfamiliar with, so I thought it was, you know, at least worth mentioning that there are some other lists from with books that are outside of maybe our radar. Mm-hmm, um, so this mm-hmm. is a short list, and there are nominees in the categories of novel, horror novel, as well as on here, novellas. Um, the Tea Master and the Detective is actually on here by Aliette de Bodard. Uh, which we all know and love. And Binti, the Night Masquerade, as well, as another familiar name. Um, N.K. Jemisin for Best Collection, How Long Till Black Future Month. So definitely check this list out. There might be some books on here that might pique your interest that maybe fell under your radar as well.
0: And actually, relevant to our last episode about audio dramas, there's a Best Audio category, and Podcastle Mm. is one of the nominees. Nice! Congrats to them. Also, I love the name of this one, Bedtime Stories for the End of the World Podcast. I might need to listen to that. That sounds very interesting. So, yes, there are a lot of... Just make sure it's not like
1: nightmare stories.
0: Oh, good point. (laughs) Maybe I'll have to have you preview it for me.
1: (laughs) You can be my screener. (laughs) Glad to. Anytime. Excellent. All right. Um, So that's our awards news. I wanted to talk about this... Very long piece. It's really interesting. The piece is called um, How Japanese RPGs Inspired a New Generation of Fantasy Authors. And it's really long, but I recommend reading it because there's so much to dive into. Basically, what it's about, a bunch of science fiction and fantasy writers, including like executive editor of FIA Magazine of Black Speculative Fiction and former writer Troy Wiggins, Chimes in and there's also Loch Lamora author Scott Lynch. They're all talking about how gaming and particularly uh, Japanese RPGs influence their books and the way they write and the stories they tell. There's also this highlight of Tamsin Muir's Gideon the Ninth, which you might have heard about. It's another one of those really buzzy books. Um, And I believe that one's coming out in September because Isabel Yap, also a writer, tweeted maybe the closest thing to a JRPG in novel form about Gideon the Ninth, which is funny because I wouldn't have thought about that, but it makes absolute sense. And as it turns out, uh, Muir used to write fan fiction about her favorite Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts characters. And she's definitely not the only person out there, the only writer out there who really kind of got their start in fan fiction. Um, But this article brought a sort of new element, uh, to me at least, into the idea of like what inspires science fiction and fantasy writers, especially of a certain era, uh, to write some of their stories. And I do often think about games... When I'm reading some books, like I thought about um, with Children and Blo- children of Blood and Bone, I was thinking about World of Warcraft, and I think I even mentioned that. But I wasn't as familiar with Japanese RPGs, but I knew a lot of people who were into Final Fantasy. So I thought this was super interesting and very in theme. And it also does dive into, you know, broader conversations about fan fiction like Peng Shepherd, who's the author of uh, the Book of M, talks about how she discovered her love of writing by writing Zelda fanfic.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing
1: yes, I this is so interesting because I you know you don't often hear about sometimes it just doesn't come up like what is the inspiring thing so Peng Shepherd, um you know, like I know when I think about the sort of old school hero adventure quest trope in fantasy. I often think about the Zelda games. And a lot of fantasy writers have definitely turned that on its head, like that traditional trope of, you know, the hero going to save the heroine. Um, and Peng Shepherd did say something about, you know, like reclaiming the story. But also that she's very into minutiae. So she would literally go back to the game and, like, make sure all of the details were correct, which is very, like, it sounds so SFF writer. I thought it was really fascinating and, you know, kind of funny, but also absolutely fitting. And then there's this part that mentions, like, JRPGs themselves were influenced by the Western fantasy of the 1970s and the 1980s, and particularly Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. And, yeah. And we've talked about D&D, and I definitely think that, D&D influence in fantasy is something that's obvious even to people like me who don't play like you as long as you know the the basics of the game and how it works and how characters are created like you can kind of see it sometimes when you read especially like high fantasy and of course there are D&D actual books out there Um, and then another interesting point that was made by a fantasy writer R. Kiran Gopal is that JRPGs did some work in shifting the focus of fantasy in a non-Eurocentric direction, which I also thought was really interesting, and basically showing people who grew up with JRPGs a version of fantasy that isn't centered around medieval European history, which is something, you know, when I was growing up, that was a lot of the fantasy I was reading. Mm-hmm. So uh big ups to JRPGs for helping out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I and can't wait just so to much. read
0: this piece. I was a huge yes. Final Fantasy fan when I was younger. And Ooh. if I had the time now, I would totally replay them. And I also, I loved The Book of M by Pung Shepherd. and I loved in the Ninth, and I didn't realize, but now I'm thinking about it, like, oh, I can totally, I think I can see some influences. So this is, I can't wait to read this. Yeah,
1: I think you'll really dig it. And there's just, there's so many layers to this onion, and there were so many things I didn't know that I learned just by reading this. And it did kind of make me want to, I didn't play Final Fantasy, but it made me want to get... Into gaming, uh, yeah. just you know, for educational purposes. Oh yeah, but for I science. Don't have time. <laughs> Precisely. So yeah, nice. definitely check that out. We'll link to the piece, and um, you can either read the sections you want to
0: read or the whole thing. Nice. So I kind of stole one of yours, and now I have two, and I apologize. <laughs> oh no worries. But they're kind of, well, one of them's shorter, one of them's longer. Let's do the one I have feelings about first. There's a Hitchhiker series in development. Uh, Hulu is planning a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series. And I have a lot of feelings. (laughs) I'm a big Hitchhiker's slash Douglas Adams in general Mm -hmm. fan. And I did love the 2005 movie, because even though they made some changes, I felt like it generally stayed true to the spirit of yeah. the books, if not the letter. And I, I I guess my feelings about this are of concern about the people involved. Uh, Carlton Cuse from Lost and Jason from Wonder Woman are sent to executive produce and write the series. And while those are both obviously very prestigious and, you know, complex and interesting properties, neither of them feel very Douglas Adams to me.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So I'm, I, I have, I have capital C concerns. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I, I agree with that. And I was thinking about I was trying to sort out my feelings as well. I also enjoyed the 2005 adaptation um, for numerous reasons. Like, I don't know how they're going to top the Vogons because I thought, first of all, like the way they, because that was actual, like, you know, that was actual old school. Like, it's not puppetry, is it? Yeah, Uh, it is puppetry. Yeah, puppetry. So they were fantastic. I don't know how they're going to top Alan Rickman as the voice of Marvin, but no. maybe they'll bring back Warwick Davis as Marvin and actually use his voice. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but I did find it interesting that it is going to be adapted into the series because, you know, as, it's, as it says, uh, this started out as a radio comedy. So I think it has a – ha- kind of has like a built-in format for that and I think that mm-hmm. maybe they can fit in the full series of novels this way though it's not actually mentioned in the article so I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I am also I I'm hesitantly optimistic. I do not know how these showrunners are going to approach it. I really hope that they are fans of the book. I mean I
0: assume they are, they but have to be But their work isn't obviously yeah. Adam's No.
1: And it's kind of like, it can be difficult to adapt. Mm-hmm. It's so absurd. There are so many unusual elements involved in the storytelling of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Like you have to take a really creative approach to the way you adapt those stories. So I, hope that they rise to the challenge because a lot of people love this series. And there are a lot of fans who would be very vocal if Mm -hmm. they were done incorrectly. So I'm sure I'm like many people out there who are very hesitant and unsure. But also like Douglas Adams News in general is kind of thrilling so I can't deny
0: that (laughs) it'll be interesting to see how they cast it too I mean I I I watched the pilot of the Dirk Gently series when it came out and I I think my biggest issue with that, both with the casting of Dirk gently, because it was just like not at all, even they didn't even try to get close to the physical description in the book. Um, But also it it felt so heavy handed in certain ways. And one of the defining aspects of Douglas Adams is his lightness, even though he does tackle serious things. It's all with this true sense of like a very light touch and a lot of joy. Yes. I just didn't feel that even a little bit from the pilot. Perhaps the show changed. I don't know. I did not. I confess I didn't give it a chance. But and and like Wonder Woman and Lost both. I mean, not that these are like, of course, they are not their only works that I'm familiar with. And I'm sure they have these showrunners and writers have, you know, layers like any of us. But neither of those has that in, in in my opinion. So That that's, you know, part of my concerns with the capital C. But I think, you know, I will try. We don't have anything yet. We don't know anything yet. It's a little early to be, you know, burying them under an avalanche of concerns. So (laughs) I just have them. (laughs) I don't know what else to say.
1: Yeah, you have every right to have your concerns. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) We'll see. Um,
1: I'm looking forward to finding out more about it at least.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, Well, and then in in the news that I'm excited about, I don't know how you feel about this, but (laughs) Mahershala Ali is going to be the new Blade, which is amazing.
1: I find that exciting, too. I honestly haven't even thought about Blade since forever.
0: So Mm.
1: I don't have tons of feelings about it, but I am excited about your feelings,
0: Oh, I, you know, I I loved, I think I probably watched Blade, like, I don't even know how many times as a, as a, like, tween teen. Yeah. I've watched it so many times. I was just obsessed with it. Just the first one. Just the first one. I'm pretty sure there were at least two. And I, I was just obsessed with the, the one. And I, I just loved it. And, and I hadn't, I, I hadn't thought about it in a while. And then I didn't even know they were considering rebooting it. So, and then to have like Mahershala Ali announced as the Wesley Snipes replacement, it was such a roller coaster of feelings. I was just like, <laughs> it was like a nostalgia punch in the stomach. I was like, oh, Blade, I loved Blade. And then it's like, oh, Wesley Snipes was so iconic. And then it's like, oh, Mahershala Ali is also so iconic. And, you know, I saw not all of Luke Cage, but some of season one. And he was so good in that. Um, so it does. And he's also obviously done some very serious drama. Uh, not that Luke Cage is not serious drama, but it's a superhero show. You know what I mean. Yeah. And so his his range is what I'm saying. His range is amazing. So I just am like, I can't even imagine how i'm so excited i'm very excited for this. <laughs> very 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 excited <laughs>
1: i mean i will say that when i saw blade when i was younger like it was definitely and i think this is true for a lot of people it was like first time i saw a black person in like a vampire thing that wasn't mm-hmm. like interview with the vampires where they're just like on a plantation and victims so yeah i was like when i was a kid it was really i was fascinated by it and i'm a big fan of parker posey And she was in, like, at least one of those. I can't remember whether it was a first or second one, but I just thought it was really fun. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. And I like that I'm going into this without, like, a ton of expectations. Like, I Hmm. probably will be with The Hitchhiker's Guide because (laughs) I just remember these movies being really, like, fun and you know, like something to watch in the summer. And I would have it like on in the background a lot of Mm -hmm. the time. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. And especially like, I love the visuals of any vampire story. So.
0: Oh, same, same. And you're so right. We never get, we very rarely get black vampires doing anything interesting. And Blade is such an incredible character. So yeah, it's, it's very, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I might have to rewatch one very soon. <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds is, like a great idea. Is that dangerous or should I just dive right in? I don't even know if they're on Netflix. I hope they are. uh But I definitely, I definitely, definitely need to rewatch that and yeah. get my nostalgia on.
1: Oh, do it. I will totally watch it again too because obviously <laughs> I've forgotten so much of it. But.
0: Maybe we should do a rewatch episode about Blade.
1: Oh my goodness. Like watch all of them. Would you would you actually watch
0: all of I them? Would, the I would. I would
1: I would do it. I would totally do that. All right. You us. heard
0: it here first, friends. <laughs> this is this is gonna happen. We're gonna do it. That's so exciting.
1: I love watching TV. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned. <laughs> well, I think
1: that actually brings us to the end of our news. It does. That was a lot of great news though. Um, I know. And now we get to talk about. Games and Tournaments in Books, which is super exciting. And I, the first book I'm going to talk about is my fantasy pick. And this is actually one I have talked about before, but I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the game aspect of the story. So um, this is Court of Fives, and it's the first book in a YA fantasy series by Kate Elliott. And I was refreshing my memory of this book and saw an author's note on Kate Elliott's page, which I had not stumbled upon before, where she described the book as little women meets American ninja warrior in a setting inspired by Greco-Roman Egypt. (laughs) And I just feel like a lot of readers would really dig everything about that. Um, I'm not a sporty person myself like at all, but there was a time when I used to watch American Ninja Warrior on the regular and I just thought it's so amazing what the human body can do and it's amazing what this character Jessamy, is the main character, can also do. So this story does involve sisters. They all have different personalities and I think you could probably match them up with the March sisters and their names are really similar so it probably wouldn't be too hard at all. And it does not indeed involve this competitive, high-risk, obstacle-style game. So this is definitely on the more dire end of the SFF books about the gaming spectrum. Um, it's set in AFIA, I believe it's called, which is certainly Greco-Roman-inspired. And the thing about The Fives, which is this obstacle course that's at the center of the story... And is Jess's obsession is that you risk death when you play. Um, so you could be too slow and lose a game, or you can get crushed or terribly injured. Sounds really fun. <laughs> so <laughs> regardless of the risk, both you know to Jess's body and to her family, we're on really unstable ground as it is because their mother is born of the lower class of Ephians and they're called commoners and the daughters are mixed. Their father is up in the patron class, which is this higher class, who are not even allowed to marry commoners. So uh, Jess's mother and father aren't married. They can't get married legally. And Jess, meanwhile, is determined to prove herself an expert at this sport, which has a really large audience in the patrons in this ruling class. So the game itself kind of acts as this level playing field in a world that's, you know, as mentioned, very uh, very divided by class. And exam- kind of looking at the role of the fives, the role the fives play in this society was really interesting because I knew it was there, like, when I read the book. I knew about the game, but really taking a closer look at what it symbolizes and its purpose in this story was really interesting. There are a lot of layers to it um, because in this world they live in, racism exists. The Afians are described as having darker skin. And Jess and her family live in this world shaped by colonization where classism is part of daily life. And... The Atheans are matriarchal, but the patrons look down on daughters and are generally really misogynistic. The ruling class treats Athia like a chessboard. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of politics going on. And then Jess's preoccupation with the fives is not the only danger to her family, obviously. So they're caught between... Their father is caught between this love, his love for their mother, and then his role in Afia's military. And then tragedy strikes right when Jess starts to realize her dreams of becoming a major player in the Fives. And these dreams and her reality intersect on this sort of Game of Thrones level. So I think if you love political and military strategy and also, like, high-risk competitions of strength and strategy and really women-centered stories... You should check this one out. Um, And definitely when you read it, consider the role the Fives play. I think that's probably one of the most interesting parts of the story. And I think I mentioned it before, but... um, Just a heads up in case you're looking for romance or not. Romance doesn't really take a center stage in this book, so that's just, that's something I saw people talking about, so might be worth noting. So again, that was uh, Court of Fives, which is the first book in a completed trilogy by Kate Elliott.
0: That beautiful word, completed trilogy. (laughs) It's so rare, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. It really is. Well, I also have a completed trilogy for you, but the games are really only in the first one, as far as I am aware. I picked An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir, and this is the first in the Ember in the Ashes series, of which, yes, all three are out. And oh, but there's a fourth one. I take it back. The fourth one is coming in 2020. Uh, So there are three books that are out, and then you have to wait a little bit. So, this is interesting because it's very, like, yeah, there's, like, the Harry Potter games where, like, you could get hurt, but you're not going to die, and they're a little bit fun. And then there's the Hunger Games, in which not only are you probably going to die, but you also have to kill people. And mm-hmm. Ember in the Ashes, the Trials, which are the games slash tournament, I guess, is more accurate in that book, are definitely more of the Hunger Games variety. And the setting of this book, if you've somehow missed it, they're wildly popular. So you probably already know. But just in case, Mm -hmm. the setting of this book is in the Martial Empire, which I think is also very Roman. Yes, Roman inspired. And um, so this is all about Roman colonization, apparently, this episode (laughs) (laughs) makes sense. It does. Uh, Yes, it does make sense. So, Laya is our main character, and she is of a race or culture called the Scholars, who are, you know, as you might guess, like, sort of more, like, into learning and You know, healing and medicines and academics and bookish things. And then the marshals, uh, the Marshall Empire are sort of the Roman stand-ins who are very like military and conquery and think that they're, you know, civilizing the whole world, et cetera, et cetera. You know the story. And Laya lives with her grandparents and older brother, and their family is like really struggling, you know, to sort of stay together. But they, Laya lost her parents to the resistance, and so they're just trying to keep a low profile. And then her brother is arrested for treason, and so she decides that she is going to help the rebels in order to free. Her brother. And the way that they decide she has to help them is by spying inside the Empire's military academy. And the other main character of this, Elias, is a soldier and like one of the top soldiers in this academy, but he secretly is dreaming of escape. And his mother is this horrible, intense, fierce commandant who runs the whole show from the academy angle. And so he has to keep up appearances and. You know, cannot even nobody can even suspect that he wants to defect, as it were. Um, And Laya becomes his mother's slave and he has to watch, you know, his mother treat this young woman who he doesn't really know very horribly. And Laia, in the meantime, is trying to find out all of these secrets that she can give to the rebels to sort of repay them for their eventual help in freeing her brother. So that's the bigger plot. Within that plot, there are also these sort of, they're called augurs, and they're sort of priesty, mystic people. And they have decreed, you know, that these trials are going to happen to find the next emperor. And they are really brutal Mm. and all about, you know, like uncovering your fears and also you have to kill people, it turns out. And there are different mystical prizes that you can get as you make it through. And the winner is basically, you know, going to become the next emperor. So, There's a lot going on, just the most, the most going on in these books. And there is some romance and there's a lot of family and there's a lot of family expectations and like trying to separate yourself up from your family. And then this broader setting of resistance and rebellion inside a very brutal empire. So there's just, there's just the most, the most. (laughs) Um, But if that's the kind of thing you're into, I think definitely these are worth a read. I read this so fast. I just got so sucked up into it, and I appreciated this topic because it reminded me that I hadn't read the rest of the series yet, so I'm now in the middle of the second book, which is less gamey, more on the road, like running for justice kind of thing, which is also really fun, but not the topic of today's episode. So, <laughs> so if any of that is interesting to you and you haven't read them yet, I definitely recommend An Ember in the Ashes by Sabaa Tahir.
1: Uh, I love that book so much, and brutal is really the word to use oh, for it because it's rough. Oh,
0: it's, it's just rough. So rough.
1: Okay, uh, my next pick is a great one for fans of Jumanji or anyone looking for a fun middle grade adventure, and it's The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazzi, who is also a Book Riot contributor.
0: It's just super
1: fun. I heard about this book and put it on my TBR, though, long before Karuna started working with us because it features a hijabi main character, and it just sounded like a really fun steampunk adventure story. And it is exactly that, so I was not disappointed. Um, So The Gauntlet takes four kids and delivers them into this world of a board game. So it's very much, it's all about this game, The Gauntlet where they have to win or they have to face grave consequences. And Farah also has to find her brother who literally stumbled into this game and her two lifelong friends then agree to join her on this mission. And her brother has ADHD. I can't speak to that experience, but the relationship between Farah and her little bro, like the frustrations and the feelings of protectiveness protectiveness felt very real so I immediately felt for Farah and Ahmed because she's the older sister she's in this position of responsibility and that's really hard for her in numerous ways she's 12 years old like she's literally celebrating her 12th birthday at the start of the book And now she kind of has to, this is like a growing up moment. She has to rescue him. She's determined to do it, even though she has absolutely no idea if she can beat the game. And, you know, as any kid would be, she's terrified. There's all sorts of scary things that happen. Um, But I also thought that these were really the perfect characters for a story about games. Each of these three friends contribute something to their overall strategizing ability, like Farah is definitely the main strategist, and then there's the technician, Alex, and the warrior, Essie, and they make up this really diverse group in more ways than one, and that gives you hope that their different but really complementary skill sets will help them on their journey, And the story does speak to the power of diversity in a way anybody can understand, which is great, I think, for a middle grade read. And I also think the game setup in general is really, is a great one for kids. Because this is one of those books, like, I would recommend it to a young, reluctant reader. It's just wonderfully entertaining. And the descriptions of the bosses in the game are fantastic. Like, some of them are so gruesome on a level I think kids would appreciate. (laughs) Um, You know, like, the gross stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, as an adult, I really appreciated the gruesome descriptions. I thought that they were really fun and I could absolutely picture these characters and there's this one actually the graveyard boss is particularly gross when you come across that one you will be probably horrified Um, but (laughs) as might be expected from a graveyard boss but I kind of like to when I was thinking about this theme I was thinking about my reading habits and I do like to switch it up between those grim dark books where it's like you know, you've got to do this game or you're going to be crushed under a giant weight or something like that. Like, really terrible grimdark books. And then I also like to mix it up with these lighthearted capers. And The Gauntlet does definitely provide an alternative to the really dire dystopian SFF we often see about games. Like, if you're looking for Mm. science fiction and fantasy books about games, but you don't necessarily want to go to that place... This is probably a good pick. It's really lighthearted. There are some laughs and there's this really supportive band of friends that I just loved. And the story really is about the bonds between friends and siblings because Farah is working out her feelings about her brother and the expectations everyone has about her responsibilities toward her brother. And she's also strengthening the bonds between her friends who've been on kind of shaky footing with her. Ever since her family moved and she started going to a new school, and while the book does address some struggles, far as having at her new school with kids who don't understand her culture and with her brother's ADHD. You know, there's this hijabi heroine who's sent to this world that's culturally familiar. She's surrounded by people who look like her and feels relieved by that, at least in the midst of all her trials. And I thought that was a really nice touch. And also for those of you who, like me, live for foodie talk in books, there is so much of that to be found in this book. It was so good. So prepare to be hungry. So if you're, yeah, it was so good. I, I'm i going to have to cook something this weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're looking for something lighthearted, a caper, an adventure, but a really great story about friendship, um, you should definitely check out The Gauntlet. And that was, again, by Book Riot's own Karina Riazzi
0: amazing so good I, yeah i've got to read that um i have i also have a more rompy lighthearted pick for my second book it is a, it's a space opera with magic which <gasps> is definitely my jam it is also a little bit fast and furious in space with magic and of course <laughs> as you may or may not know about me if you're listening fast and furious franchise is one of my fandoms i they are just superhero movies with cars y'all i could go off on a tangent and we'll spare you in any case my pick is a big ship on the edge of the universe by alex white and this is so much fun one of the main characters nyla is a top driver in the pan galactic racing federation so it's like nascar in space and she is uh in in like i said it's a space opera with magic so she has like mechanical magic so the way she controls her car especially when she's racing is magical but she's like fine-tuning the engine and like making sure she takes the turns correctly and like slide braking at the correct moments but with magic it's so cool y'all it's so fun and she is like you know gets like champagne in the vip suite and like is living the life and makes tons of money and is very happy with herself and then she witnesses the murder of a fellow racer mid-race, like, on the track by this, like, terrifying cyborg creature. And she gets framed from the murder and has to go on the run. And she, like, does not know how to do that. And also she's Intergalactically famous, (laughs) so (laughs) that's complicated. And the other main character is Boots Ellsworth, who's amazing. She is a con artist map maker. She like once was a reality star who found like a she went on like a treasure hunt and it was the subject of reality TV. And now she's sort of washed up. And she makes fake maps. She makes maps to fake treasures. Like she like well and sells them to gullible people. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that one of the fake, quote-unquote, fake maps that she made to a legendary ship named the Harrow, which is like this warship, like the most powerful warship ever, and it's been lost. And she like made up and sold a map to it, might actually have been, she might have been onto something. And now people are after her as well. And... This is a found family story and it's a misfit story. So it's like (sighs) misfits on a spaceship fleeing from murderous brigands and uncovering a vast conspiracy. And also you get the like NASCAR races are pivotal to several sequences. And so you get our like there's these games slash tournaments, but also this much bigger quest. And it is just a delight. It is so much fun. And the stakes got way bigger than I was expecting them to, quite frankly, and in a really satisfying way. And there is, like, some queer romance going on. And the characters are diverse. And it's just... It's a really fascinating, really, really fun book. The second one, A Bad Deal for the Whole Galaxy, also a great title, is out now. I haven't read it yet, but I'm super excited about it. And then there's another one coming next year so (laughs) called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. LOL. (laughs) Um, so, So, yeah. So, there's more where that came from if you end up liking it. And, like, I definitely think if you if you wanted, like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, like, Becky Chambers plus Fast and Furious, that's what this is. Yes! So it's, like, tailor-made for me, y'all. Like, I don't even know. Alex White, how dare you? Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's super, super fun. And the games portion of it is really good. And it's just a really fascinating world that he has built here. So again, that's A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe by Alex White. And it is the first in the Salvagers series. And that's our show. Yay. Thank you all for being present when we decided to do a Blade rewatch. Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) Really super fun. Um, If you have other suggestions for themed episodes you might like to see, please do drop us a line at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome. And if you would also drop us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, we would love that. It helps other people to find the show. And we do love to see the feedback. And you can find us online. I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And then on Instagram, as I am Jen IRL.
1: And you can find me on Instagram at s Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams.
0: And we'll talk to you next time.